Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Today of our interesting guest I talked to a while ago, uh, Chris Kitsi, uh, creator of Flashcoin and Megacoin. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today, Richard? Good. Besides being a little raspy, I appreciate you taking the time. So, would you tell folks um, a bit about the coin, Flashcoin, and first a bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Um, I've been I've been an entrepreneur for 25 years, and I've done a lot of different kinds of companies. And I got interested in the crypto space. Uh, Michael Turpin introduced me to Bitcoin in I think it was 2011, and I went and tried doing some mining. And uh, after about a week of my computer, I had a Mac Pro and one of the old towers. You know, it sounded like an airplane was going to take off for about a week in my office, and I just finally turned it off because it was using about about $20 worth of electricity to generate $2 worth of Bitcoin. And of course, those Bitcoins today would be worth um, how much? <laughs> I don't know. I'd probably have to go and dig up that old machine and see what see what was mined. But anyway, um, I got into it. I started looking at it uh, back then and about three years ago, got serious about it, and we started a company called SafeCash. And, and what we've done is uh, SafeCash is designed for banking type of product, um, and there are a lot of laws and regulations around that. The crypto world, the loyalty and the free coins and things like that, that actually is a lot more interesting. Uh, my background is in consumer marketing. I had companies that, uh, one I took public called Zoom.com is the original Zoom.com, not the, uh, not the payment company, uh, the one before that. And, um, and I've had, you know, 20 million people using my email services and signed up for home pages and various community type things, uh, through Zoom.com. So I've got, a pretty good background for mass consumer um, marketing. I've done some payment companies in the past, and uh, that's why I got very interested in this. And Flash is uh, Flash is the thing I really want to I'm going to focus on because I think uh, if you look at what what we've done with that, we have optimized the the Bitcoin code to basically centralize the processing, but we're going to do it through a delegated proof of work. So it's secure. We've had uh, Jim Blasco, who's done a number of coins. Um, he just finished up all that work, I believe, a couple days ago. And uh, what's going to happen now is uh, we did a pre-sale and a uh, crowd sale uh, up in Canada. No U.S. participants. Um, there are just too many problems with, um, with U.S. laws and regulations. So uh, it was all done in Canada. We had a company set up, and uh, this company, it's you know, it's basically all, it's all everything we did was legal in Canada and for the rest of the world. And so what we've done is um, we made a, uh, the blockchain so that it would be a very high performance and low cost blockchain. So one of the things that we that we noticed about Bitcoin was the amount of electricity that is consumed to basically process the transactions and someone has to pay for it and you're paying for it either through inflation or through transaction fees and now it turns out that the uh, the chickens are coming home to roost and bitcoin we love bitcoin but it's not going to be suitable for small transactions 
people are now picking up the charge with Litecoin. I don't know if you've seen Litecoin was about four dollars maybe a couple months ago, and it's now over yeah. twenty bucks. And Crazy. there are a number of reasons segment, for that. Yeah, SegWit's coming out, and the developers are now moving in there and saying, "Well, you know, we built all this stuff for Bitcoin, and it's actually very, very simple to make it work for Litecoin." So what I think you're going to end up with is um, a lot of these utilities that use that use Bitcoin and other cryptos are going to, you know, it's going to take the form of like the coin payments wallet, where you basically can you can accept whichever crypto coin you want as long as it's inside their their wallet and inside their technology. Um, if you're a merchant, that's a great deal. And you know, I'm in, involved with a company with another friend, not a company actually, it's a project, and they're just collecting. They're just collecting all the altcoins. And I just told them, I said, look, just stack this stuff up. And you know, some of these coins are going to be zeros in the future, but some are going to be quite valuable. This is what Flash is designed for. Flash is designed for high-speed processing. We've tested the blockchain up to twenty-five thousand transactions a second, and you know, so it's under under two-second processing time. And the key is that we're also looking at putting in messaging into the blockchain because. The nodes of the blockchain are distributed, and you don't really have a centralized point of failure. Even though the, the processing is centralized, it can be moved in a few minutes. And uh, you know, we'll get into what we're doing next. But there's a network of um, of people who I think will want to support this kind of, a, of this kind of a coin because it can be used for a lot of applications, loyalty. Um, we looked at doing advertising, but the ad business is basically dying right now. And uh, Google and Facebook are fundamentally taking over the advertising, online advertising business. So it's very difficult for people who are not in that ecosystem to, uh, you know, to prosper. And so what we've looked at is more like an eBay type of a model, which is where we can put 40 bytes of data into a record and it's a listing. And what can you list? Well, you could list just about anything you can put in 40 bytes. And so we'll probably work with some people to develop an application that will allow people to do OTC trading, to list their digital assets. So it's basically a Craigslist or eBay for digital things. And that, we think, could be a huge market. I had a couple of questions on the mechanics of Flashpoint. You said that um, the proof of work next will be distributed. Uh, can you go into that the details of that a little bit? compared to what Bitcoin has right now? No, the proof of work is centralized, but it's a delegated proof of work. So in other words, there will be nodes, and that's one of the things we'll talk about here today, which is we're about to offer, you know, you could call them a master node or a governance node, and these are the nodes that actually get to vote uh, for how to how to administer and govern uh, the blockchain. One of the problems that Bitcoin has right now is a governance problem. They just can't get people to agree on what to do in the future. And what it's doing is it's creating opportunities for other coins like Litecoin, um, which may actually not be all that bad. I mean, I think that having all your eggs in one basket is not a good idea. And I think people are going to find different coins that have different use cases. But with our coin, we decided to, the first thing is the performance was really important because for mass consumer market, you know, you don't want to have you know, it's a dollar fifty-seven to send in the transaction. That's what my last Bitcoin transaction cost. Too expensive. Now, if you're sending twenty thousand dollars, it's great because compared to sending a wire, it's a lot cheaper. 
But for consumers and for small payments, which is defined as under $50, there's no way it's going to work. And then the other issue is the processing speed. If I send you a coin to be able to resend it, it takes an hour of waiting. And that's on a good day. So in order to uh, speed that up, our engineers went and designed something that basically centralizes the proof of work. But the person who is responsible for doing that is delegated, and it's going to be controlled by this governance uh, nodes that we're going to set up. So that's the difference, is that it's a different kind of a governance model. It's a it's designed to be a low-tax model, and if you think about the taxes that are on Bitcoin, there's a, there's a transaction processing tax, and, you know, there are, um, if you think about it, some of the other coins like Dash and uh, some of these other coins that have a transaction fee that gets redistributed to certain developers, there's a developer slush fund. And the model we really like there is Monero which is where it's just a community and the community decides they want to donate their coins to people who are going to do things. Uh, that seems to work pretty well. And um, so I think, you know, if you look at the governance of these things, that's where, uh, you know, that's something that's going to be a little different about what we're doing with Flash is that we want to have a community that controls it. So it's not controlled by any one person, but that the that decisions can be made very quickly and that it involves the entire community. So people can vote with their coins, and they can also vote with these uh, governing nodes who basically function as representatives to collect the votes. And um, that's, that's kind of kind of like ARC in that sense. Um, we really we admire that model a lot. Um, the issue with something like ARC is that they don't really have, you know, they're talking about doing something but as far as a use case, but I don't see a lot of end-user usage. Yes. And, uh, and that's, of course, the thing is that, you know, until someone actually uses the coin and does something useful with it, you really, you know, you don't have a, a fully functional coin. Bitcoin, if you look at why it's so successful, it is the payment rails for all the altcoins. So if you want to buy ARC, if you want to buy Pivot, if you want to buy Dash, the first step is you got to go get some Bitcoin. So everyone is it's almost like, you know, if you want to buy oil, you need U.S. dollars. And it's that same kind of a thing that has just naturally evolved. No one sat, no one sat in a smoke-filled room and said, you know, you must take Bitcoin. It just turned out that that's the best choice. And that's what people adopted and that's what people use. And, and it's working pretty darn well. So, you know, you can't argue with that, but that's the main use case right now for Bitcoin is to get people to, uh, you know, onboard into the other crypto coins. And, um, you know, each one of these coins is going to have its its characteristics of the blockchain, the performance, the governance, whether it's a proof of, proof of work, is it proof of stake. Um, there are a number of these things. And people are basically, you know, of course, right now we're early and people are testing and we'll see sure. which one works. But the thing that we liked was we looked at the proof of work and centralizing that, you get huge improvements in performance. But the problem when you centralize the proof of work is that you then have the case where, you know, one person can control it and they can do whatever they want to. And that's okay. not good either. So you need to have, you need to have a governance model in place that allows people to, um, you know, find someone who is trustworthy. And again, you know, at some point, everyone has to be, there has to be some amount of trust even with Bitcoin. 
So if I do a transaction with somebody, someone has to send their coin first. And you can set it up so it goes to an escrow, but then you're trusting the escrow too. So, you know, there's always a certain amount of trust with humans, and you really can't replace, um, you know, that human trust, I think. I think that's the lesson that we've learned here. Now, you can reduce it, and you can take it down to the cryptography, and that is, you know, you're trusting the math, which is a great thing because everyone can agree on that because it's math. So that's that's kind of the philosophy with, with Flash. But I think what you'll see is as a listing to be able to put 40 bytes into a transaction, which is a standard Bitcoin function, by the way, but the blockchains have not been optimized for this. And you think about, you know, what are the use cases that people would want to do this? And I think I think a lot of people are looking at the exchanges and they're saying, wow, these exchanges are great. They're getting a lot better. We haven't had a, you know, an MT Gox happen for a while. Uh, Bitfinex is a little shaky, some people think. Um, you know, but they've, they've actually done very well. They've actually redeemed everything that they lost and, uh, they did it very quickly, which shows you how profitable the exchanges are. So, you know, I think that there's going to be a need for an OTC trade because people fundamentally want to be off the grid and peer to peer. That's a fundamental thing that people want. And how do you enable that? Well, you could build a website that just has a listing. I want to sell this for that. But now you're, once again, you're centralized. And, you know, then you have to say, well, where's your website hosted? Where's it based? Where is it? You know, and now all of a sudden you're in the land of you have to uh, go get licenses and, you know, and get regulated. And it's going to be quite painful and quite expensive. Um, we looked at setting up an exchange and the cost is basically it's about a $10 million ticket to do it right. And it's probably more than that now. That was a year ago. So it's probably 20 million now. But that's, you know, you've got to find the right domicile. You've got to have the right kind of KYC, anti-money laundering, all those kind of policies to be legal if, if you're holding people's money. And that's the benefit of the OTC type exchange. And I think that's what, that's just one application. There are a lot of things you can do. You can put product registration information, but the idea is create a coin where you can put something into a blockchain where the blockchain itself is the data and the value is from the network and the data that's in the blockchain. And that's, I think, something that's new. I haven't really seen anybody else uh, try that yet. Um, and that's what we think is going to happen with Flash. We think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of demand for this kind of an application. Well, the question about that, um, it seems like people have tried to keep as much data as possible off blockchain. You know, using Merkle trees, et cetera, because the blockchain uh, can't really support tons and tons and tons of data. So you want to go the other way? Am I, am I correct in that? And how would you accomplish that? How would you well, um, avoid the blockchain from becoming bloated with, you know, untold amounts of data? Well, here's the issue. Um, you know, you've got, uh, you've got a, first of all, yes, you're going to be putting more data into the blockchain, but you're putting in 40 bytes. That's all we're talking about here. Now, what can you do with 40 bytes? You know, I, I'm old enough. I'm 58. So I'm used to things like dealing with engineers for assembly language. And you would be surprised at how much information you can stuff into 40 bytes. And I mean, back in the old days when storage was expensive, we used to do, you know, we used to optimize a lot of this stuff. So basically, you've got 40 bytes of data that's already being sent around on the blockchain. And that's what we're talking about. So we're not really talking about 
loading up the blockchain. Now, if someone wants to put a bigger message in, you just start charging a lot of fees. And that's how people will make money off of this, is that they will support the blockchain. And what they're doing is they're supporting different nodes. And not everybody's going to need to run a node because we have a web wallet. So you don't need to run a node. We, we can already do that for people as well. If you want to run a QT wallet and you are by default running a node, if you're running an exchange, you're going to be running a node. If you want to create a, uh, if you're a developer and you want to create a new service, you're going to run a node. So what's going to happen is, um, you know, all this stuff, it is going to bloat up, but you start looking at the total amount of data that you're talking about. And, you know, it's not really that much more than what you're already doing just for moving transactions around. So I think, you know, how big is the blockchain going to get? It's going to be terabytes. Who's going to want to sync, and sync up a QT wallet? No one. People aren't going to do that unless you're a serious developer or an exchange. And, you know, and if you're, uh, if you're one of these governance nodes and you want to run a node, then, um, you know, and that's one of the requirements of being in the governance pool is that you're running, you're helping to run a node so things could switch over to you at any time. Um, you know, that itself, that's, that's what people are going to get compensated for under our system. The difference is there's no inflation because the coins are all issued. They, they were all given away with the, with the initial pre-sale. So they're fully distributed. There's no, um, you know, developer pool where the developers have, you know, given themselves a certain amount of coins. Everybody had to donate to get coins. There were no free coins. Now I'll take, I'll take that back. There were one, one million of the coins were given away. This was for testing. And that's out of the, that's out of the, um, 900 million total supply. So. Yeah, tell me about, that, um, the way you gave away coins. You said you didn't do it. In the U.S., you did it in Canada. Why is that? What were some of the laws that made you not do it in the U.S.? Well, there's, you know, it was actually pretty clear. We actually started a company. We work with a payment attorney in Canada. And, um, you know, there's basically a golden window of time when you could set things up where the regulations in Canada were, they're, you know, they're going to start getting more and more tight, just like they are everywhere. And what we did is we set up a corporation in Canada. There are two companies. There's one company that does that's a money service business company, and that's the one that actually handled the administration of the blockchain uh, initially. And that's now being moved away from that company. Um, as soon as we finish our governance nodes, that's going to move away from that company, and that's going to happen probably in the next couple of weeks. Why Canada? Because Canada is a very friendly country. Um, if you look at their stock market, they have what's called the venture exchange. They are used to doing things and trying a lot of things. And, you know, the U.S. has just gotten sclerotic. It's gotten to the point where it's, uh, the, the overhead and the regulations are just so onerous that it's almost impossible for people to even do business in the U.S. now. Now, you know, people are hopeful Trump is going to do something. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but the fact is that you've got the SEC that's looking at, you know, how do they regulate this? And it just, we just looked at it and said, you know what? Just rope off everybody from the U.S. and, and that's it. If you have a company that's overseas, you can do it through your company. So that's actually, it turns out that's the loophole. You can't, as an American, you can't go get a bank account in another country. But if you have a company in that country, you can get a bank account for that company. And that's actually, I mean, there's still rules and regulations and reporting back in the U.S., but at least the bank will give you the account. So that's, right. that's 
concept that we had to to deal with, and I think you'll see it's like most of these ICOs. You're seeing almost all of them being done offshore. Personally, I think that there's there's risk if you're taking in U.S. citizens because the SEC, um, you know, they have enforcement powers and they can do all kinds of stuff. They can investigate. They can, you know, they can charge people with crime. And, um, you know, they're looking at it from the point of view of your, you know, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're like their private property and they can just, they can, you know, keep you from getting a bank account in another country. That's what FATCA did. And, uh, you can still legally get a bank account in another country, but the banks just don't want to go through the hassle. They don't want to do all the reporting and they don't want to be like the police and enforce U.S. tax laws on people who have a bank account in their country. So that's, that's the, the long answer to your question, why not the U.S.? And that's the reason why. So what, what stage is, uh, Flashcoin at now? Is it being traded on any exchanges? Is it, where is it at? Uh, not Are yet. It's about issue? to, it's, a, it's about to go on to, uh, at least one and hopefully two or three exchanges. Uh, we just finished the code for the, um, uh, for the wallet that the exchange will be using. Uh, we have to provide the source code to the exchange. And, um, you know, and then we have to get set for some market making and to get people who are interested in the coin to, uh, who want to, you know, participate in it to be able to, uh, participate. But, uh, it looks like Bittrex will be the first exchange. And we did, uh, we initially tried doing a crowd sale there. And what ended up happening is we decided to pull it off of that because, you know, we were concerned about anybody being from the U.S. Once the coins are out there, it's just it's just property, and so it doesn't really have anything to do with the SEC. And you know, and this is Bitrex is a is a licensed exchange, and uh, I think what's going to happen is that once it's out on that exchange, I think you'll see um, you know you'll see a lot of exciting things start to happen with the developers. So uh, you know, people obviously they like to develop for something when they can see you know what they can use the coin for and one of the main use cases for a coin is to is to be able to trade it for something else and uh and that's pretty much of a requirement for uh for crypto coin these days you mean trade it for something else for another coin or for for another coin for bitcoins for you know eventually for dollars if they you know if they if the exchange sets up to do that hey you said um, one of the biggest or the biggest use case for bitcoin was being able to uh buy altcoin. Coinbase now you can buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, they just added Litecoin. Do you think that's gonna yep. make any difference in how Bitcoin's used? Or do you think uh other exchanges or places allow you to use fiat to buy altcoins that's gonna uh, hurt or help or change Bitcoin? Well here's the thing. Most of the exchanges, I mean you you know you can do it's a lot easier to do a person to person OTC trade with Bitcoin because you don't have to be there in person. If I'm selling you bitcoins for dollars and let's say I have let's say I have a half a bitcoin and you want to meet me at Starbucks and buy my half a bitcoin for 700 or 800 dollars, right? You can do that. But but having for bitcoin having the ability to uh to trade into all these other coin pairs and if you look at all the exchanges around the world, they all pretty much function the same way. The pairs, the maximum number of pairs for trading is with Bitcoin. Hands down. Go look at Polonia. You got, you can do ET, you know, ETH. 
You've got maybe, I don't know, 20 coin pairs there. You look at Bitcoin and there's hundreds of coin pairs. You go to Liqui. You go to uh, Yobit. You go to all these other exchanges and the number of coin pairs that work with Bitcoin is big. So that's the thing that that's the driver. And that is, in my opinion, the, the killer app for Bitcoin. Really what it is. Now, I think there's an opportunity for a, for a product based on either fiat, which, you know, Tether tried doing, but, you know, the issue of Tether is, of course, it's not even an omnibus bank account. It's a bank account, which means that the bank has taken the money and gone and, you know, 90% of it's not even in the bank anymore. That's problem number one. The other thing is, I think you're going to see an opportunity for a, for an asset backed gold or metal backed crypto coin that people can use as a safe haven for when the cryptos are going down in value. Because that's one of the issues is, you know, you trade out to U.S. dollars, but maybe you don't want to be in U.S. dollars. And maybe you want to be in something else, you know, and the something else is if it's gold and it's based on a, on this kind of a blockchain, which has the, the, the best of both worlds, which is a centralized and decentralized approach, you now have, uh, you have another another alternative but you know look at how long it took bitcoin to get to the point where it had thousands of coin pairs you know it took six or eight years i mean the first exchanges you know they showed how to do it and and quite frankly not every exchange wants to list thousands and thousands of coins and you're going to find there are going to be some exchanges that are focused on the small coins that are you know not heavily traded you know if you want to buy a le pen coin if you think she's going to win the election just like the trump coin if you think she's going to win the election, you know, where can you buy it? There's two exchanges. There's Cryptopia in New Zealand and Yobit. There may be a couple of others now, but those are the two that I'm aware of. And, and that's it. And it's very thinly traded. I mean, it may trade, you know, three bitcoins a day, you know, but if she wins, which who knows, maybe she will. Uh, if she wins, it may, it may moon. So that's do you have any insight for. Yeah. Do you have any insight into, um, how the exchanges choose to allow BTC uh, altcoin pairs and when they keep them, when they get rid of them, any inside baseball there? Well, I think the first thing is uh, the ones that are in the U.S., I think if there's any potential problem where the coin could be deemed a security, they'll dump the coin. And you've seen some of the action happening with uh, Poloniex uh, lately where they've delisted a number of coins. Some good coins, too, by the way. And coins with decent trading volume, and they've delisted them, and they haven't said why. But that's my that's my take on it is that there are some potential regulatory flags um, with those kind of coins. And, and and the problem the problem in the U.S. if you're a U.S. based exchange, the SEC has what's called, and this is a you know pretty much settled law, went to the Supreme Court. It's called the Howey test, and it's named for a famous Supreme Court decision which basically defines how how they characterize something as a security. How do you define something as being a security? And, you know, one of the things is expectation of, uh, of future profit. And, I mean, well, what doesn't have that? <laughs> so, right. I mean, it's like, well, why would people buy stuff? Well, well, you know, you buy it to consume it, to use it. And that's one of the reasons why, if you look at what we're doing with Flash, that's why we set it up that way. Now, what makes people want to list a coin pair? First of all, if they think that there's some something behind it and a decent use case, they'll put it up. Now, remember, 
in a rising tide, even dead fish float higher. That's the point yeah. that we're at right now, right? That's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, right now, this is this is actually, I've already lived through this before. It was called the dot-com boom. And that's what's going on right now. What you're seeing is a replay of the dot-com boom times a thousand. And wow. you've got all these coins. You've got literally, because to get listed, I mean, to take a company public is a lot of work. It's expensive. It takes a lot of time. You have to have a lot of lawyers. You have to get banks to help you do it. I mean, you could, there's no legal requirement to use a bank, but they've made it to the point where you would be crazy if you tried doing it on your own. And the reason is because you need a market maker and you need people, you need a sponsor. That's basically what it comes right. down to. And you're starting to see the same thing emerge with the ICO market right now. But it's still possible for some person with an idea in their bedroom to build something that's really cool, that captivates people, that excites people, and that is useful. And when you have those kind of things come together, um, you know, that is what, that to me is what makes this so exciting. And it's fun. I mean, this is, where else can you have something where someone who's 17, 18, they could be 14. We don't care about how old they are. We just care about how good the code is, and we care about what the application is, and what problem it solves. And that's it. But what's happening is you start seeing, you're starting to see the big money arrive. Okay? That's what's happened with the market. There's a melt-up just today. It's another, you know, Litecoin's up another 20%. Bitcoin's up another 10%. And, you know, what I said at the beginning of the year, I said, this is when, this is when the overall market cap was, I think it was around 25 billion, maybe 20 billion. I said, by the end of the year, the overall altcoin market cap will be a hundred billion dollars. And next year, by the end of 2018, it'll be 500 billion. It'll be five times bigger. 500 billion. And what is yeah, driving- This is exactly, uh, this is exactly what I've been asking. Go ahead. I wanted some future insights on what you think's going to happen. Go ahead. Go. Yeah. So what, what's driving that? It's an asset class that, first of all, is having huge return, and everybody wants in on the action. It's as simple as that. And it's, you know, to some extent, you could, some people might call it a mania, right? Like tulip mania. But there's more than tulips here. There's actually something that's useful. And, you know, if you look back to the dot-com days, everyone says, well, you know, pets.com went bankrupt. Yeah, they did. They did go bankrupt. But Amazon.com did not go bankrupt. And I remember Henry Blodgett, who was an analyst that I know personally, he, he called. He said, Amazon's going to be worth $400 a share. And literally a week later, it was worth $400 a share. So, huh. so what's happened? And now if you, if you, I don't even know what the, what the adjusted stock price is now, it's probably a couple thousand dollars a share. So it's like anything. Some of these things are going to do really, really, really well and others are going to go broke. And that's the way it is. So the key is if you can find uh, something, an application, a niche that you can carve out a living, that you can build a community, and you can have people who um, come together for common benefit, and everybody wins, there's nothing wrong with that. Tell me what um, you think specifically is going to happen with Bitcoin uh, throughout the rest of 2017 and perhaps 2018. And I know these are guesses. 
Well, I said I said at the beginning of the year, I said Bitcoin's two thousand dollars this year, and that looks like it's gonna at the rate things are going, it might be that by by next week. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> predictions as Mark Twain said, predictions are difficult, especially those involving the future. And mm-hmm. I think what um you know, Bitcoin itself, why is it worth what it's worth? People ask me this question all the time. It's not backed with anything. And I'm like, well, actually, that's not true. It is backed. It's backed with technology. It's backed with millions of transactions that have run through the system successfully. It's backed with the hashing power and all of the, you know, it's basically a proxy for electricity. So it has a, it has an inherent value. And the biggest value of Bitcoin is the certainty of supply. You know, if you notice, Bitcoin never did an ICO. There was no ICO for Bitcoin. It just went out and did its thing, and it was successful, and people worked on it, and they invested their time, they did the mining, they built the thing out, and and it worked. Now, people are trying to, you know, jumpstart things and make them so that they will uh, go faster, and that's one of the reasons why they're trying to do these ICOs and whatnot. But Bitcoin never had that had that baggage. So, you know, what's in the future for Bitcoin? I mean, what's the value of Bitcoin? You know, a good friend of mine says he thinks it's a million dollars per coin. Now, if that's the case, then the dollar's probably not worth very much, but that could happen. That's one scenario. I think what's more likely is, you know, $25,000 Bitcoin. And the hard part about the Bitcoins is just hanging on to them because you see so many things to go do and spend them on. Like, you know, when Litecoin was $4, I said, okay, I'll take some of my Bitcoin and go and buy Litecoin. And right. I'm actually very, very happy because I'm, you know, the, the altcoins have outperformed Bitcoin. But at the mm. same time, you know, you never want to not have Bitcoin if you're in this space. Right. So that is, and that's because it's this payment rail for all the crypto coins. And it's useful for your ICOs. It's useful for all these different things. Now, Ethereum's starting to catch on to that. I bought some Ethereum a while ago. I've been very happy with that, of course. But we used yeah. a lot of that, probably half of it, for um, you know, for doing um, uh, ICOs because that's how you had to pay with Ethereum-based ICOs. So we paid with Ethereum. So it's um, you know, and that's very very interesting. But it's um, you know, as far as Bitcoin goes, you know, they'll figure out this 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 fork, you know, the Bitcoin Unlimited thing. They'll figure that out. I think once SegWit gets running on Litecoin and it's proven, I think that we'll right. see a, a change in opinion on the Bitcoin community towards that. Um, and they just basically have to have consensus and figure it out. But in the meantime, I mean, it still works. It's being processed. You know, you've got uh, the processing fees are, I think, high. But, you know, think about what the work that's being done. It's actually, it's still a bargain. Bitcoin is still a bargain. Uh, because as I always said, it's too valuable to use as money. It really is. And what I mean by that is, why would you spend your Bitcoin? You know, you've got something that is a very, very useful public ledger and it does all of these amazing things, the way it's secured, the security, all these different things. It's right. now, and what you can you do with a coin? Well, you've got a hundred million Satoshis. So you don't really have one Bitcoin. You have a hundred million Bitcoins in a, in a fashion. I mean, you can spend the minimum transactions probably around 5,500 Satoshis. But the fact is that, um, you know, it's invisible and you're not really, everyone says, well, I can't afford a Bitcoin. And I'm like, why do you, you don't have own to own one whole, 
yeah, why do we need to own a whole Bitcoin? Just, just buy a tenth of a Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. Exactly. People don't understand that. They think about it like it's a dollar bill, and they don't understand that you can get nickel signs and quarters. Penny. All right. Um, last question for you. So back to flash coins. on the roadmap for this year for flash coins. So for this year for Flashcoin, you know, what, the first thing is we need to get listed on a couple of exchanges, and we are in the process of doing the um, the governing node, if you will. It's like a master node, but it's not really a true master node. Um, and what that's going to do is that's going to get us the uh, that's going to get the community going on building out this listing model. And, uh, you know, getting a number of nodes. I mean, it's obviously, it's community building 101, right? You need to get people using it. Um, to give you an example, I just talked to somebody who is a software developer for casinos. And he was looking for a loyalty product. And I said, you know, you could go and build your own blockchain, but why not just use Flash? Because it's going to be cheap. It's going to process quickly. Um, you know, you can go buy it and, and afford to give it away to people. It's, you know... It may appreciate in value. We can't promise that. We don't know the future. But, um, okay. you know, it's very attractive for a software developer because they don't have to run a blockchain. They don't have to go through the process of, of getting it uh, listed on an exchange. I mean, all these things take time and money. And people who are software developers who are not blockchain developers don't know how to do all this stuff. And quite frankly, they should be focused on building their applications. So, that's our, our roadmap for this year is to get developers like this using Flash. That's really what it is. And to create usage. And people will surprise us. I mean, you know, the code's out there. It's, it's open source. They can, uh, you know, they can, there's an API. They don't have to run a node if they don't want to. And it's just a, it's a very nice development platform for someone who's a developer who doesn't want to build a blockchain. And I think there are a lot of developers out there like that. Now, some people will say, well, you can use Ethereum, but, you know, Ethereum, it's going to be interesting to see. They That is not purely a settlement system. Bitcoin and the variants of Bitcoin are settlement systems. Now, what does that mean? Well, what Ethereum decided to do was to put the smart contract right in the blockchain. Now, that has advantages and disadvantages. The big disadvantage is, of course, that you are a Turing-complete system. And for a settlement system like Bitcoin, which is not Turing-complete, because Bitcoin does not have recursion. Now, recursion is what leads to artificial intelligence. And the problem with that is that as soon as you start allowing recursion, you have a situation where people don't even understand the implications of what contract means. And this is the DAO, right? They wrote a contract, and someone found a corner case and took advantage of it, followed all the rules, and and took advantage of it. Personally, I think morally it's wrong to take things from other people, but that's what this person decided to do. And as far as I could tell, it's not illegal what this person did. It's perfectly legal. So, so that, I think, is going to be one of your big issues is, are you going to be focused on the smart contract or being a settlement system. And they're both they're both different use cases. So they will both probably succeed. And that's why you're seeing Ethereum. I mean, I have people say, oh, go short Ethereum. And I'm like, I'm not going to short Ethereum. 
Remember, in a rising tide, the dead fish float higher. Even if you think Ethereum is a dead fish, it's going to go up. So that's, and that's what's happening now. And there are a lot of smart people working on Ethereum too. I don't want to take anything away from what they've done. They've built something that's pretty amazing. And, you know, I don't know what the market cap is this morning, seven, eight billion dollars. You know, will it catch Bitcoin? I don't know. Depends on what Bitcoin does. It depends on the community. And, you know, will Litecoin catch Ethereum? I don't know, but they're all going to go up because it's a huge market that everybody's chasing. And these mm-hmm. things all have utility. Okay. Well, Chris, uh, you know, you've got great insights into many things. We could talk for quite a long time, but, um, you know, we're out of time right now. So last thing is, uh, for listeners, how can we let them know more about Flashpoint and what's coming? Do you have a Slack or what's the best way to uh, find out? Well, there's, um, Bitcoin Talk. That's one place where we have a, uh, we have a message board over there. Uh, they can go to the flashcoin.io website and that's going to be updated in the next couple days. Uh, but, but mainly, um, you know, the Bitcoin Talk forum is the, is the main place. That's where the real news and information comes out. And then there are people, I mean, people can contact me directly on, on C, on Skype, uh, Skype at CKT, CKITTE, on Unseen, it's Chris, that's Unseen.is, and that's a private and secure communication system we actually developed with another company. So, um, that actually could be another use case for Flash, which is a signaling plane, which allows people to put their, you know, obfuscated IP address so that only their friends can find out where they are, and then peer-to-peer communicate with them. But that's a, that's a down-the-road application, which I think is kind of interesting. But that's, you know, as a signaling plane for this kind of information, um, you know, that is something that the blockchain could be very useful for. Oh, um, well, well, since you brought it up to me, just talk about that potential project very briefly, obfuscating IPs and secure communication. Yes. Um, you know, one of the issues with, with, uh, with communications is signaling. And we've had a company called Unseen, which is based in Iceland. It's about five years old. And, um, you know, one of our interests, one of the things we've learned about is, you know, you can do, uh, true peer-to-peer networks, but the problem is the signaling plane. How do you let someone know? How do I let somebody know where my IP address is without, you know, broadcasting it to the entire world? And there are ways to put this into blockchain where I can have something, a coin that goes in there and it expires in some time period. And it, it, it's actually a very interesting economic model because it's like a pay phone call. You know, the old saying, drop a dime and go call somebody. Um, you could you could send some flash coins in, and that gets your that gets your uh, your message put into the blockchain. And anyone who can read the blockchain, who has your a connection with you, who has a hash and can read your read your and decode your IP address, can then connect with you. That's that's the idea. So it's um, the signaling plane is actually one of the one of the main problems of communication. And to be able to put that into a blockchain, I know people have talked about it. Um, I haven't seen anybody do anything specific there. We've got about 200,000 users of Unseen right now. And I know the Unseen users would be very, very interested in this. I know they'd be very, okay. very interested in this. And if they, um, you know, a lot of the software work's already been done, but we would have to clean up the signaling plane. And that is something that would have to be developed. So. Now, if there are developers out there who would be interested in working on that, we'd love to hear from you. Um, 
you know, I think what you could do is one of the things that's nice about crypto is you build an application. You can build in a way to get paid. So every time someone uses it, they send a coin. It's a split payment. And you send a coin. If I send 10 flash coins to, uh, to do my listing, maybe three coins go to the developer. There are a lot of things like that that you can do. So it's very, I think that's very exciting from a software developer point of view. Very exciting because it's a way now to directly get paid. And I have a lot of developers in places like India who are keenly interested in all this stuff. Okay. Because to set this up and get paid is, is a wonderful thing. And it goes cross border. It goes right into their wallet. And then they can just go and do an exchange for bitcoins and, and go and do whatever they want to with bitcoins. All right. Well, Chris, very good. We're out of time. But, um, you know, I appreciate you taking the time and, uh, you know, giving all this knowledge. So thanks. And, uh, hopefully people will connect with you after hearing the podcast. You bet. Thanks, Richard, and good luck to you and all your listeners. Okay, take care, sir. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.